Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Hello, Voyagers, and welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 269. This was recorded in Bovina, New York. It's about a three-hour drive from New York City in Delaware County. It's like halfway up to the northern part of central New York, where New York meets Lake Ontario. And when you leave the highway and you're heading towards Bovina, it's a really, really beautiful drive. It makes for a great road trip. You pass a lot of streams. We saw a bunch of fly fishermen out there. There are small lakes or maybe ponds. I don't know how you differentiate between the two. But there's a lot of water, a lot of big properties and farms and beautiful old homes. It's a great scenic drive. Now, we were going to Bovina to meet Sohail Zandi. He is a chef, and he co-owns a restaurant called Brushland Eating House with his partner, Sarah. What they do is they have one setting. I believe it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you go. It's 7 o'clock. You make a reservation. And the menu is what it is. You don't pick anything. It's really cool. You get, what did we get? Three or four courses. Four courses, yeah. And it's not communal in the sense that like everyone's sitting at one table, but it feels almost like a family gathering or like almost like a party. And before the food comes out, or maybe even after the first course, Sahel addresses everybody. He tells them about Brushland, uh, why he likes to do what he's doing. And then throughout the night, he's checking on every table. Sarah's walking around too. They have their young kiddo with them. And the kiddo's hanging out in her arm, going to the tables as well. A couple of times, so Hale walked around with shots. He had a bottle of uh, vodka frozen in a block of ice. It's strange, but it, it feels like you know them after, after five minutes of being there. And of course, the food is really delicious. Let me try to recap. So the first course we had was various meats and cheeses, kind of like a charcuterie plate, um, olives, olive oil, focaccia bread, uh, marinated mushrooms. Second course was porchetta, really good pork. Third course was lamb. Oh my God. Unbelievably tender, delicious lamb served with homemade pasta. And the final course was like like a pistachio cake. I think they called it pistachio roll. Really incredible stuff. And what's really interesting about this place is that there's not, there aren't a lot of businesses in Bovina. In fact, I think there's maybe six and so Hale and Sarah have, have their hand in two of those. So Brushland Eating House is a destination. It's a reason to go there. But what I really liked about the town was that it seems that there's a lot of creativity. I think in part because, and so Hale talks about this, but you kind of have to make your own excitement. If you're somebody without a lot of interest and a lot without a lot of hobbies who doesn't like to do things, it's probably going to be a rough place for you unless you like the seclusion. But I really liked it. 
Now, so Hale and Sarah also own four Airbnb properties. Leslie and I stayed at one. It's ah, oh, it was really beautiful. It's called the Owl's Nest. It's set off in the woods. It's not too far from town, but it's still pretty secluded. In the morning, there's all sorts of wildlife just awakening and making a lot of noise. And it's really cool. All sorts of birds and their calls and their songs. So I sat out on the porch in the morning and did some podcast work, had a coffee and just listened to the sounds. It's really nice. Now in town, and we'll talk about this in our conversation, but there's an old general store called Russell's General Store. You know, typically you'd walk into a general store, there's like rock candy and candies and things like that. A lot of like dusty products that maybe have been there a while. But what they've done with Russell's is they've converted the kitchen and they have really good food. I mean, it was in the morning, we got duck banh mi at a general store in a small town. Really good stuff. They have white fish sandwiches, pulled pork, bacon, egg and cheese. They do home-baked chicken pot pies. I think they had um, like a lamb pie there as well. So there's, there's two chefs there, and I think they're both actually from Brooklyn as well that are living up there. So it's a cool place. Like, obviously not nightlife and a ton of super exciting things to fill your time. But again, if you're somebody that loves the outdoors and also has a passion for, for hobbies and making things, I think it's a great, a great setting for you. It's not terribly far from Phoenicia. You may be f- familiar with Phoenicia, New York. It's, it's a great drive to Phoenicia. People like to hike around there. The Phoenicia Diner is pretty legendary. We hit the diner on the way back because that too, you probably have an image as soon as I say diner of, of what a diner is in your mind and the type of food you're going to get. And I'll say I love diners. I grew up on Long Island and that's what you would do past 10 o'clock. <laughs> when things start shutting down in the suburbs as you go to the diner. So I love diner coffee and burgers. But the Phoenician diner, it, it, it's that sort of in the aesthetic. Like it, it looks like traditional, a traditional diner, but the food is really kind of elevated. It's really good. Top quality, delicious, really cool variety. Uh, they're doing something special there. So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in... The Catskills area um, in the middle of New York, in the Hudson Valley, a lot of it gets overshadowed by its proximity to New York City, which clearly is one of the greatest cities in the world, if not the greatest, and (laughs) an unbelievable food destination in itself. But if you come to New York, I would definitely recommend spending some time in some of those other regions. So... In this conversation with Sohail, we talked about his upbringing, his cooking. We talked about bovina. It was really cool to sit with him. He's got a giant Great Dane that kind of wanders around the town and just walked into the restaurant while we were recording. So it was really cool. So make sure if you go to bovina or anywhere close to there that you get a reservation at Brushland because it's a really special experience uh, and and a unique one, especially if you you do a lot of food travel. All right, you can go to the player that you're listening to this episode in and you'll find a link to their Instagram, which is pretty active. They've got a lot of pretty photos from the town and of their food. And there will also be a link to their website 
and to my Patreon, which is a subscription-based site where you can give monthly and get cool kickbacks like shirts and stickers and writing and things from around the world. I'm going to stop yapping now and say enjoy this conversation with Sohail Sandy. As I was a-going down the road with a tired feeling and a heavy load, out jumped the sheriff and he hollered out bail and he locked me up in the Delhi jail. Rotten old pork he gave me to eat, sour molasses to make it sweet. They piled my coffee in a rusty old pail, and that's the way they used me in the Delhi jail. Now I'm free and out of that door. I pray the Lord I go there no more, for the birds am a flying without their tail. So to hell with the sheriff and the Delhi jail. First of all, thank you for having me here. Yeah, of course. This this feels really special. Last night felt special. Great. Um, we're very fortunate that, you know, we're able to have incredible meals around the world just by sort of traveling and putting ourselves out there. Yeah. Um, and last night was no different in the sense that it was an incredible meal, but something about it felt special and different. Yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, sure. just, just thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Appreciate that. Uh, you're originally from Jersey. Northern New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Was there something in early life that sent you down the path of, of cooking? Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up very appreciative of, of food and food um, experiences. I think, I don't know what, it, it was just kind of innate, I think. But, I, you know, food was important to my family. Hmm. Um, you know, we ate a home-cooked meal every night. My mom is, is, is a big cook. She's, we're Persian, so she's... We cook Persian food, you know, five nights a week, if not more. Um, and, yeah, we just didn't do, like, the whole, like, takeout thing. And then uh, being living in northern New Jersey growing up, there's just, like, great food around. I didn't really recognize it as a great food place until I got older. But the fact that there are, like, so many first-generation Americans there and that it's, like, there's it's so densely populated leads there to be like a lot of food options and um, just like really good food spots. Uh, you just got to look like a little bit, not even a lot, just a little mm. bit. And they sort of like, there's a lot of good places. So I don't know. I grew up around food. Um, uh, you know, I watched a lot of Jan Can Cook. I watched a lot of like Andrew Zimmern in my, what, instead of like going to my college classes. And uh, <laughs> uh, I kind of fell in love with food and uh, you know, my parents wanted me to be a doctor, and that wasn't really ever on the, uh, wasn't something I strove for. Mm. So um, at some point, a lack of interest leads to um, a lack of progression, I think, and then, you know, you're just not going to do it. And so luckily, I didn't end up on that path, and, you know, I ended up kind of doing something that I was really gratifying to me, um, and it's simple. I mean, you know, food is, um, I read a quote, like, I get these Ruth Reichel emails and I, she like put, they're really cool. And you get, um, you get, uh, she sends you an old article like that she wrote about from like the eighties. Hmm. And then, um, it'll say, there'll be like little excerpts in there. And then, so one of them, they have like a quote from her where she's like, 
food is like uh, food is like sex to pe- people because it's like it's like innate and you just like you can't get enough you're insatiable and it's innate so you wake up every day wanting a three course meal you know it's like mm. it's like an intense drive that people have and so I don't know that stuff kind of resonates with me it's just like such a mundane thing but it can be so intense food and eating and um hosting people you know yeah there i've said this before but there's a lot of power in in feeding people totally yeah yeah something that you don't think about i think when you're younger it's a super intimate thing Mm. you're making something that someone's going to put inside their body Mm. you know it's like (laughs) you think about that like and i always tell people when they come to work here because a lot of times people are uh, fussy with food or they think like they're coming to a nicer place they need to like be delicate with it and I'm I'm like no it's like it's it should feel like passionate or intense like you don't want to like it's not about at least that's how we like to do it you know it's like there should be a part of you when you put it on the plate and you don't want it to be overthought or overcalculated like it has to just come from inside of you I think mm. um, yeah strangely intimate in the way that um, not intimate in a physical sense but also just in sort of like a personal and private sense maybe this sounds like a stretch for people but um i just remember being a kid and there was this this one kid at school and he would always bring in like sardines and put them on crackers Mm -hmm. and when you're a kid just going to public school and you want fries and tater tots and cheeseburgers that kid was a real weirdo yeah and now as an adult i'm like oh shit i would have loved to have had that but that was like something likely he had at home that he didn't feel, you know, squeamish about or uh, didn't feel was different to bring to school. And it's just like a, a look kind of like into his home life, which totally. is in a sense intimate, yeah. Yeah. It, were your parents first generation? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because I've heard that story. I have a lot of people on who run their own business. And yeah. a lot of times with first generation parents, it's like, yeah, they wanted me to to have like a job that seems more prestigious yeah, exactly. or pays more or maybe yeah. offers it's probably more about like security and the life it can give you. Yeah, I mean it's their version of the American dream, right? right. Move to America, have your kid become a doctor. It's you know, and the, and they get sort of stunted. You know, my parents got married at eighteen. They came to America at nineteen. Wow. Like they, they didn't. There wasn't like a, they didn't have their like twenties to grow. They had a family by the time they were twenty three. So like, whatever that idea was, when they moved here, it was like stuck in there. You know. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't like a. A chance, like, and I think that's what our generation does, kind of in a really nice way. Is like, there's like personal exploration in your 20s, and so you can kind of like landscape, if you're lucky, what makes you happy, and sort of land on something. Um, you know, I do. I just think, you know, I think that they got, a little, unfortunately, get stuck. Um, and luckily for me, my parents are very progressive people, and we're able to learn as older adults, and we're able to like. You know, it took a little bit of convincing, but they were, you know, mostly just because they're blindly supportive of anything that me and my sister want to do. But um, uh, I think in the long run, they, 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 they see that, you know, you can't really put a square peg in a circle hole or mm. whatever. You know, it's like whatever makes people happy uh, at the end of the day is, you know, that's the best scenario. So, um it took me a while, but I, I convinced them, I think, you know. I saw a social media post that you wrote that I really liked and connected with um, talking about 
having a Persian American heritage, yeah. but then also identifying with the food of northern New Jersey, yeah. you know, pizza, bacon, egg, yeah. and cheeses. Um, it, yeah. Can you talk about that a bit? And like, sure. did you have a, a go-to spot in Jersey? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. Like, I think there's a lot of sensitivity over ownership of food these days. And for me, it's like a little overdone, I think. Like, I think, I think, you know, food is like what connects us. And so if like we can have people learn our, like, I don't, it's not my culture. I, my culture is so specific to me, right? I can't say, my mom grew up with those flavors and then she was passed it down to me, but I didn't grow up with them surrounding me and other, other than her cooking them, right? So there's, that's where my story begins. Um, and so at the same time, yeah, I mean, I was like going to my friend's houses and we'd have, we'd have Taylor ham and egg sandwiches every Saturday. And like, that's very much part of my, uh, you know, food culture, food experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'd have flat crust pizza. Uh, I don't know. Oh, you know, it's so like generationally American mm. and Northeast American specifically. That's like, I identify with that, like in, in a big way as well. And that's like, so that also enters... Um, you know, how we translate into what we like to present to people. Just so, like, story-specific, you know, food. And, and and that's why, like, we like to kind of sprinkle that all in it. It's really nice that we're here and we're able to, like, tell people. Like, people know that we went on a vacation somewhere and we picked up a few things. Or, like, um, you know, we never say it's, like, our kind of, you know, we didn't invent anything. It's just saying, like, oh, we like doing this or this sounds like a something... Um, someone else had a good idea and we, we just wanted to try it. Um, spots in New Jersey, oh man, there's so many. We've been going to like, if you go like in Palisades Park, like on, on the other side of the city, like just over the river, there's like some really good Asian food places. Um, then the one spot that we always go to whenever we visit my parents is, is uh, Kinchley's Pizza, which is like our old, which is, um, it was kind of the spot that we would go as kids to, uh, you know, if you went with like your friends, like it was like two families would go because it's a pizza place, mm. but it's also like kind of like a fun bar hang. Like there's a lot of booze and uh, and uh, thin crust pizza, so you can like crush it. And everyone <laughs> loves it. Um, and now we go and Sarah and go and sit at the bar and like have a couple of beers and get a pie each. And uh, that's the kind of place it is. But um, yeah, that place is great. We go every time, and uh, it's special. There's something you said in there that that I just connected with. We were out in New Mexico and Southern Colorado recently, and I wrote an article for uh, Edible Denver, mm -hmm. uh, which is coming out in June. But we stayed at, at this ranch, this place called the Zapata Ranch, and there was, the, you know, we went because you can get sort of like the the ranch experience there because they actually raise bison and cattle. Cool. But when we ate there, I was completely blown away by the food, like unexpectedly. So I pitched this idea to write and Edible Denver was like, yeah, like the lens we'll use is like cowboy traditional cooking. So I interviewed the chef and one of the questions I was like, well, like how do you utilize Western cooking? And he was like, hey man, like what is Western cooking? Yeah. I am a Mexican American with family in Veracruz who has like 
French and Italian influences, cooking in a place that had indigenous people, Spanish colonists, American col- uh, you know, England and American colonists and pioneers, Mexican immigration. Like, what the hell is the West? Like, yeah. it's this hybrid thing now in 2022. Um, and I felt a little silly for like overlooking that. But yeah, like in 2022, it's it's hard to sort of pinpoint what exactly is authentic anything when, when we're talking about food. Yeah, especially in America. I mean, America yeah. is like, we're the kings of bastardization of all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. How do we bastardize <laughs> this and make it easier? But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, it, but it's it's so funny. Like it, and that's why I will never judge anyone else's experience. Cause I think like, even like when we do it or like even when I'm cooking Persian food, like I have lines in my head where I'm like, I can try certain things, but I know I like, but I'm like, oh, I'm not going to step over that line. And I'm making it, it's arbitrary. I'm just making it up, you know. But to me, like, I'm full-blooded Persian. My, both my parents are Persian. So there's stuff, but I grew up here. So there's stuff I'll do that my mom would never do. And then, like, Dan, who works with me in the kitchen, is his dad was Persian, but his mom was Italian. And he grew up, like, with a lot of Italian heritage. And so he sometimes tries to push it further than me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is, that's too far. But it makes no sense. They're all like, there's no real reason why you can't change things or, um, I don't know. It's like, it's all kind of arbitrary. I do think like you, at some point you can't call it what it is if you change it too much, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's creative, right? What we're doing is supposed to be a creative outlet. It's not supposed to be, there aren't supposed to be like hard lines. There aren't supposed to be like all these rules and all these judgments, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a sign of the times, but, uh, I do think like we can't, we shouldn't lose touch of the creativity of it or like, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you're like, feel like you're being, I don't know, a little too careful. And when you're careful, you lose that, that creativity, I think. So I think on, on that point, I really like that you just have, you have one daily menu, like there aren't options. And, you know, nowadays it's like, we're even, we're even in factions over food, like we're carnivore diet or we're vegan or this or that, or, and it's kind of nice to just like, put all that aside and you're coming in and you're going to eat what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, we did this, we've, de- we've been here eight years and we used to do like an a la carte menu. We went through that ring and it's kind of like the same thing with us using a coffee maker now. At some point you just like graduate to a point where like, I don't want to do, deal with the bullshit yeah. and I want to do like what's, what's going to make my life. It's, it's, it becomes like more focused on you. And, um, I mean, this is like, we're in a very fortunate situation here. And like a lot of our dominoes have kind of fell in the, the right places. And uh, and I think that a lot of that is like out of our control. But I think this part of it that's in our control is the fact that we identify what makes us happiest about some in a situation. And we identify the things that don't make us happy. And we cut that those things. And we focus on the things that make us happy. And that's kind of where we've landed. I mean, and it's nice. It's really nice to like do a menu. I mean, we're, we always try and be like considerate of everybody, but it draws a certain type of person, which I think is great. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to come here if you're not a flexible person, you know, which is like, those are the people I want to feed is like open-minded, uh, you know, 
open to new things, here for whatever. Uh, if you come in and you're like, oh, I'm like, you know, very specific, closed-minded person, then you're not going to be open to a good time, I think, more than anything else, and that's what we're most concerned about. Um, so it's like a natural filter, which is really kind of nice. Uh, and it just makes sense. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, that's, been, that's been really nice. We've been doing this format for a little over a year, and I think the nicest, the biggest surprise is that most, a lot of people are happy that they don't have to choose anything. Mm. Um, you know, and I say, I always say, like, we did it for very selfish reasons. Like, it's nice for us, but it's really nice. I mean, the reason we get to keep doing it is because people enjoy it. So um, it's been really, really, really great that it's been re- well received. And uh, um, yeah, we, we, we really like doing it. Uh, so, when did you uh, come up to Bovina? Uh, got here in 2014. From Brooklyn. Uh, we took so we left Brooklyn in 2012, October 2012. I left. Sarah and I just started dating, and I I was leaving New York City because I was done with it, and uh, so I got a job making cheese on Martha's Vineyard, Whoa. which was kind of great. Yeah, I worked at this really great farm called the Gray Barn and Farm, and uh, I was an assistant cheesemaker. And I uh, my apartment I lived in Red Hook before I moved, so my apartment okay. flooded at Sandy. So. Yeah. I lost all my stuff except for my. I had like clothes, and then so I left everything, and then I, uh, I left everything. I got a FEMA check for like four thousand dollars. I bought a car, and I so I moved to uh, Martha's Vineyard, just having my, like my car and my clothes, which was great. I owned nothing, but I had no bills, so that was great too. So I was a cheesemaker there for a year, and then Sarah moved out and uh, worked on a flower farm for the summer, and then. So we were there for one, uh, November to November, I lived there. And then we both actually went and lived with our parents as 30-year-olds, or I was 30, she was 28, and uh, for like six months while we got ready to do this. So I think, I don't know, we were probably like under contract in this for this building sometime in December, and then we ended up closing in March. So there was three months where like we knew this was coming, and we sort of just... St- we. We stayed with our parents and squirreled money away. That's all we did. We're like, I worked in the city. I stayed with my parents in New Jersey, and I would take the bus into the city, and I worked at a restaurant. And I, uh, yeah, we just tried to like stack cash and, and buy as much stuff as we could because we now had this m- massive building to fill with stuff. It was, a lot, it was a lot of fun. Good period of time. I was working in Red Hook when Sandy happened, yeah. on like Huntington and Columbia, so yeah. it's a small world. That is small. Um, what was so? What was this town like before you, though? Because I see your restaurant is like a major draw for people to come here. So, like, what was happening here at that time? Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, I do know. It's this has always been a place for creative, creative people. I think like a lot of people are just drawn here just by the beauty of the place. Mm. Um, there's a lot of like esthetes. I think is the word, right? People who are just like need things to be aesthetically pleasing around them. And so it's like we, it always drew creative types regardless of when there was nothing here. Um, and I think that, uh, so we've been here eight years, I think, so let's say 10 years ago, I think people would still go to Russell's. Russell's, there was something going on there, but you wouldn't see people as much. There's no places to connect. And I think that's kind of been the main difference. It hasn't changed the town very much, but I think 
um, I think the fact that people got to come here, there's a lot of the first like time someone comes to this restaurant, there's a lot of looking over your shoulders because I think people mm. are seeing who else comes to this place. And when you see that there's people, other people like you who have come to this remote place and landed at this restaurant, you automatically feel at ease when when you're outside, you kind of like, you're like, who the heck is here? Um, and so I think like this, the restaurants kind of give people assurance in a way. I mean, they look at us or they look at people who are, you know, visiting or people who have homes here and they, they kind of connect and it provides like a sense of security. Um, I always use like that uh, swimming on a pond analogy. You know, it's like you, you never want to be like the first person to swim on the pond, but when you see like four other people, or not swimming, excuse me, skating on a pond. Um, so when there's like, once there's like four other people skating on the pond, you're like, let's skate on the pond, you know? The ice must be good. So um, I think that's what this place is for a lot of people. It's like, it's like a proof of concept. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I you mean, know? I think, you know, a lot of places that feel unique and special and have a culture that people want to preserve, um, the more that people start coming in, people feel kind of wary. And yeah. I think actually sometimes that's not a bad thing. I don't mean like in a discriminatory manner, but like, you know, taking Brooklyn, for example, like there are neighborhoods that are just like, we're all like completely priced out of it at this point because yeah. all people with money have come in and it just like, it kind of saps it of its uniqueness and its culture when like, you know, you know, on the same block now, you got a Whole Foods and a Trader Joe's and everything else you can find in any strip mall in America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was this a? I'm just <laughs> assuming because it's called Bovina. Like, yeah. was this a a cattle town or dairy? Yeah. Or? So this is old dairy town. Um, and I think there's something like I don't know. We've lost probably like eighty. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm guessing, but it's eight, you know, the, the vast majority of dairy farms have disappeared. Mm. Uh, but yeah, at some point, I mean, this was all um, dairy country. Um, yeah, so if you you see you see the there's still some there's still cows around and yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's not the same as it used to be. Um, but I think that's what lends this area to being what I think is like the the prettiest part of the Catskills is because we're in the western foothills and so it feeds. It's like kind of where the 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 park meets agriculture a little bit. So you get like you get like the we get the rolling hills, but we also get like the pastures and uh, you know. Oh yeah, so. we came in on um, Beaverkill Road, I guess, mm-hmm. and you just pass like body of water after yeah, body yeah, of water. Yeah. It's really beautiful yeah, coming in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how badly was this area hit uh, by the pandemic? Uh, not badly at all. You know, I always say my, it's like, uh, you know, I have four mortgages and a restaurant. I have a lot of responsibilities. So yeah. I'm always like <laughs> weary when things are start to go bad, but when things go bad that my always remember that Bovina always gets better when the world gets worse. Mm. Like this is where people retreat to, you know? So it was gr- It was fine here. I mean, like within like a week of the pandemic, we had, like all our rentals were full with long-term rentals because all the people from the city, anyone with a kid in the city was like, I need to get out of my apartment. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, you could be outside. The only, re- there was no like, you know, there was just no like social gathering. But yeah. Other than that, it was like pretty much business as usual. And there's a, 
there was enough projects going on. You know, everyone's, that's the thing about living here is there's not a whole lot of like, it's a lot of self-made entertainment. Um, so if you live here, you should be like ready for that. And yeah. everyone's got a list, you know, because that's what keeps you busy is your projects. So you just got to work on your projects and kept at them, you know. Everyone painted their house, I think. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. But uh, it was good. I mean, it was a special time in a way because it felt so still and like you couldn't, there were certain things you couldn't do. So it made you sort of focus on the things that you could do, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a big, it was a good time for, for us personally. I think it was a good, it's nice to step off the hamster wheel for a minute. Do you get a lot of regulars here or do you think most people are coming in from out of town? Uh, we get a, a good, good, good amount of regulars. Um, it's funny because everyone's like now, it, the progression's been very funny. Like being here, the air, it, it's changed a lot in like the, you know, almost decade that we've been here. And uh, like people ask us that question, like, is it like locals coming or is it not locals? And locals is a funny word now because what does that mean? Like, I, for me, locals is like people who've been here for generations, right? Mm. And those people will never come eat at this restaurant, mostly just because that's not their culture. They don't eat out at restaurants, you know, twice a year, maybe something. Yeah. But I'm the same way. I don't eat out at restaurants. So, you know, I'm never like, I make, it makes sense to me. Uh, uh, and then there's, but like, if you look around the room, you say the vast majority of people that come eat here do own houses here and are now, those are their first homes because of the pandemic, right? So, um, so they used to be like second homeowners or they used to be uh, like weekenders and now they're like first home, this is their first home. So they are locals. And so it's like, it's almost like the, we haven't, our crowd hasn't changed. Like the people are the same, but their life situation has changed to the point where they're now locals who come to the restaurant. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so it's it's been interesting in that way, and then we'll see if that sticks because, you know, it's not an easy place to live. That's the thing. It's like this is a tough place to live year round, and you got it. You have to be like kind of totally down for it, and if you are, it's a great place to live. But it's not for everybody, and that's kind of what makes it great. Yeah. Do you yeah. always uh, address all your your guests like you did last night? Yep. Yeah, it's always a thing. Why do you do that? Uh, you know. We spend the first hour kind of like reading the room a little bit. And uh, uh, I think that I do it mostly just because I, I never want it to feel stale or I'll never want it to feel go, like unnoticed. Uh, you know, I, so to me, it's like a, it's like a, it's a way of trying. Um, and I think sometimes people need to, it's a new experience for a lot of people also, like being here. And I, I used to do it because I, because gathering people in a space is what's really important to us. It's like one of the things we like most about having a restaurant is having a room full of people. Like that energy is like a hard energy to replicate, right? Like the energy that people give off in an enclosed environment. Um, and I, like, I just like, there were certain, maybe if, I don't know, it happened maybe once, where like it felt kind of like regular, or like, you know, like people mm -hmm. came, they ate, they left. And, and I don't know, to me, that's, that's like such a, such a shame. You know, it's like, I, so I just, you know, I like to shine a light on a few things. I like to like kind of 
provide a glue for the restaurant, I think. And I th think we like to introduce ourselves because um, we never like to feel like, like we're serving people. We feel like we're hosting them. I think it's, there's like a fine line there. And um, I just hate when it feels transactional and I just never want it to feel that way. So it's like it, it's a way for us to sort of make it more personal um, remind people that like we're attending this party too um, and you know like you know all the things that we kind of like I kind of just try and get over the hump of all the things that make restaurant work not great mm. um, and uh, we have the power to do it so why not yeah. I grew up with a really small family uh, but Leslie back there has a massive family yeah and so that's been exciting for me in the three plus years we've been together is like her family outings are like large and raucous and everyone sharing food. Yeah. And it kind of felt like that last night. It did yeah. feel like almost like a holiday with like extended family on yeah. one spot. Yeah. So you, yeah, I mean, you succeeded with that. <laughs> you know, it's not every night, but I would try it. Like I'm, I'm always, you know, I pull out all the tricks because I really do like, I feel like the nights where I can't glue people, everyone together, it feels like I'm uh, failing. Mm -hmm. I, feel, I take it pretty personally. So because, and I, just because I think it's, it's like a waste. I think, I do think like coming here is special and I want everyone to leave here thinking they had a, you know, a memorable time. Um, so uh, we definitely, we definitely try. So, yeah. I have a lot of people that I talk to um, well, I'll start with this. A lot of people I have on the podcast have kind of taken the leap to have a lifestyle or work in a profession where, like, they are their boss, they are their master, yeah. right? Like, they've kind of gotten out of the rat race. But I also talk to a lot of people through doing this who I think have the perception that that's an easy thing to do and that, like, once you do escape sort of cubicle life in the rat race, that, I don't know, the world maybe just turns golden or something like yeah. that. Uh, I'm curious about your perception of being your own boss and how difficult that is at times or if, if it's just been, been great for you. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I like working a lot, so it's good for me. Uh, I think like if you enjoy work, that's the, our, our goal was always to have our life list and our work list be the same list where it's like indistinguishable where one starts and one ends, you know, like we integrate work into our lives. And I think, I don't think it's easy to be your own boss. Um, and I like, we're our own boss, but the restaurant is my boss. Like it makes me show up here every day. Mm -hmm. You know, the customers are our boss. So it's not like, I'm not like a freelance photographer where I get to like, if I'm not working, I used to like choose to stay home or something like, you know, we have a schedule and I'm, I have to be here, uh, or else, you know, it, it's not going to work. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, that's how it works for me. I think, you know, I don't think being your own boss is for everyone. I believe me, we have fantasies of like having a, you know, a 401k and that some, you know, health insurance provided by somebody else or whatever. But, uh, mm -hmm. Paid vacations would be nice, but I don't know. It's um, it's it works for us really well because we do have the freedom to sort of try new things, and and uh, I think that like freedom and creativity, or like institute new ideas, or like always be honing in an idea, 
that like that are like striving for perfection or like reaching that high of like having a, a perfect night even um is something that we're not sick of and i think that um that's what keeps us going and i think if you are a crazy person you should definitely be your own boss because <laughs> you're not gonna be satisfied working for someone else and you won't be satisfied with yourself so you'll keep going um but yeah i mean you know, that's what, at the end of the day, I think people that end up doing things on their own, it's because they have a vision for what they want to do and they won't be able to live with themselves if they're not able to see it through. Mm. And, uh, and uh, you know, if, if you can't help yourself, it's the right move, I think. I like that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Russell's before and yeah. we were chatting with Sarah about it before um, we were recording, but... We woke up today and we went over there for breakfast and I've been to many general stores. Yeah. Uh, I've never been to a general store that had uh, roasted duck banh mi, which yeah. was incredible. Yeah. Uh, what is uh, what is that place to this town and what is your affiliation with it? Uh, it's a layered question. There's um, I'll speak to what the place is uh, to this town. So Russell's is, is uh, everyone's got a story about Russell's. Right. doesn't matter if you came here last week or if you, you've lived here since you were six and you're 65. Everyone has a Russell story. And that's the thing about Russell's. It belongs to everybody. Mm. So when you're there and you've been there, you like take it home with you. Like, there's like something magnetic about it. And uh, I think it's just the building and the aura that it has and the legacy that it has. And um, I don't know. It has a magnetism where it's, you can't kind of get the stink of Russell's off of you, I don't think, even if you tried. But um, that's also what makes it such a special place is that, like, everyone in this town cares a lot about it. Um, and it's, it's uh, there's a lot of, like, heart and soul, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, like, it won't change more than kind of what it is now, ever, because it's, there's, like, people on night watch. Like making sure, <laughs> making sure it always stays the same. But uh, so we've had the lease for Russell for the last three years. Um, uh, basically, the previous uh, tenant. So it's owned by the Bavina Historical Society, the building. And one of the reasons it won't change is because it's deeded to them. And specifically in the deed, it says like it will always be a general store. If it can't be run as a general store, then it's going to be a museum. So like everyone tries their damnedest to sort of keep it being a general store. Uh, so the previous leaseholder left, and it was empty for a few months. And uh, uh, our idea was to get a bunch of folks here in town together and sort of uh, run it as a cooperative because you can imagine, you know, you see how sleepy this town is if you take that bit of energy away, it, it's, it's crazy how different it feels. Mm. Um, so uh, just like feeling that for the first time since we'd been here, we were like, well, Russell's can't be closed. And like, I'm sure we can like, we have enough people around here who are involved in food and who are successful at their work that we could like take it over and figure it out kind of thing. Um, and that's what we did, took it over. I used to work down, Sarah and I would work down there. I would do like a shift down there in the mornings and I would come here and work at night or do that like three or four days a week. And there were a couple other people who would work there and uh, we stocked the shelves and uh, we've kept it going. Um, pandemic happened, we closed it because it is such like a community 
kind of like rubbing shoulders, elbows kind of place. Um, but uh, then a couple, someone, one of the women who used to work here as a server, she started baking pies and she started running her pie business out of there because it wasn't being used for anything else. Uh, and then a friend of mine moved up here after a lot of hemming and hawing, every time he would come visit, he moved, finally moved up in the pandemic. And uh, I told him that if he wanted to cook down there, that he could have the job. And he's been doing that for the last uh, year and change. Um, so it's kind of, there's been this transformational thing under our watch. It's like, uh, but it's been open, you know, and that, that's kind of like, was always our thing. It's been open and successful. And uh, so our lease is up in June. And we're not renewing the lease because I'm trying to do less these days. <laughs> uh, but um, I think that, you know, we proved that it, it can be. The thing with Russell's was that everyone was like, is it, can it be someone's job or can it provide like a livelihood for somebody? And I think we proved that it, it can. If it definitely is like there's a it's, a, it's a great place. And I'm sure like the next person to have it will feel grateful and uh, not obliged, so. Will your friends, the people who are running it now, attempt to, to get the new lease or uh, I th They have other projects in the works. I'm not sure. The, so it goes back to the hands of the Bavana Historical Society and they take like, um, they basically like take pitches, like you provide a plan to them and then they choose someone. So whoever they choose, I'm sure will do a great job. It's just like, it's a tough job. Like I said, it goes back to your last question about being your own boss and me answering this question by saying everybody owns Russell's. If you, it's a hard thing to run when everybody's got an opinion mm, yeah. <laughs> in a small town. But it's like, and we did it, and I'm like so happy we did it, but I'm also like, I'm just going to retreat to my house, and I'm going to come here and do things my own way. And uh, if you don't like it, that's too bad. I don't really know. But um, yeah, Russell's is special. It's a special place. Everyone wants it to be their version of Russell's. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Yeah, I mean I've I've gone into many general stores that, you know, you go in and there's rock candy. I've never yeah. seen Squid Brand fish sauce before, yeah. so that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I mean yeah, I mean the whole point is was for us to not have dusty things on the shelves. Yeah. Or, you know, and you know, we have a supermarket that everyone goes to. We have uh Where's that? It's in Delhi. Okay. It's like to, What's that? Twelve minutes from here, yeah. something like that. But we have a supermarket everyone goes to. Like the the concept of a general store isn't really has changed, or mm -hmm. you know, the needs has changed. So with that, we were just like, oh, we'll have stuff that people can't get in those other places. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's a it's a real gathering spot. Uh, yeah, it seemed that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, back to this place. Yeah. How far in advance do you? plan out the menu items um, and how do you go about sourcing like do you use the local area at all yep so um, we use the local area pretty much you know as m once spring comes it'll be like 100% and now it's like all, all the proteins and probably half of the vegetables are locally and everything else is like from New Jersey uh, but um, yeah Planning the menu, I mean, we sort of start with the protein. So what the proteins will be on kind of a schedule. Um, then we'll, next will come an idea and then just sort of like work outwards 
from the protein and the idea. And then we try and make things feel kind of like, I don't want to say a theme, but like thematic. Uh, and uh, so it feels like, and well-balanced, I think, are the mm-hmm. things that we're like kind of striving for. Um, and then also true to ourselves. Like we're never going to, you're not going to get Asian food here, but, <laughs> uh, you know, so that's kind of where we go with the the menu, like this week's lamb. And then we'll start talking about next. We started talking about next week's menu probably like three days ago because I know it's it's chicken. And so we'll go from there. Uh, and then we'll be like, like, I don't know. It's just whatever is inspiring, like, or whatever we think we would want to be eating. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's really it. It's like pretty basic. But we've gained a lot of trust from people. You know, like having been here for this amount of time, it's not like you can't. There are other places that try and open restaurants like this. And I think the fact that we had the trust of a community and uh, like when we switched to this format was really helpful. Because mm. um, they come in. I mean, that's our whole job is like managing expectations of people who show up because if you get them coming to your restaurant thinking it's a good restaurant, it's a lot easier to serve them food than them coming to your restaurant and being like, is this a good restaurant? Mm. Um, so it, we're in like a much, it's, it feels really good to have been here for so long and to be like to a point where like people trust us a little bit and most people come in here and with a good attitude and not with one where we have to prove ourselves to them. And so we're really like fortunate for that. Yeah, I'd imagine for a lot of restaurant owners in New York City, it's the reverse case. Yeah, I mean, it was like that for us for a long time. You, you can tell, you know, sometimes people will come in and, you know, they got lost on the way over here, whatever, I don't know. But <laughs> if they hit the door in not a great mood, it's it's your job. But that's your job. Your job is to make them leave in a good mood. But it's a lot harder than, you know, just maintaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever. People are interesting. We're the service industry. We take all kinds. I don't really know. <laughs> what do you think about um, the future, either of of Brushland or or for you in terms of you know business owning and work? Yeah. Or do you not think about the future? No, we don't really. We are like pretty uh, short sighted people. Um, we moved here. I remember our friends would come, and we'd kind of like the ones that like were skeptical, but they could see that we had a good thing going on. They always landed on, but what do you do do five years from now? Mm-hmm. was always the thing. That was like, you know, like they were like, they were, it was their way of convincing themselves that they were doing okay. <laughs> exactly, you know, whatever. exactly. Uh, and that's fine with me. I, so, and we would never, we we're like, I don't know, we'll see where, what happens in five years. Like we, you know, we never knew we were going to be here. This wasn't like a grand plan. We just came up here. We liked it. And the idea made sense and the, you know, the pieces fell into place and we landed here. And then if, I don't know what this place is going to look like in five years. I don't know like what our family is going to look like in five years. I don't know like who could have predicted there being, sorry, that's my dog. Uh, is this a dog or a horse? Yeah. Come here, buddy. That's a big oh dog. My He's gosh. very friendly, but he might say hello. Hey. Too friendly. Um, oh my God, hello. Yeah, so I don't know. We don't really look like the future. I mean, we, our thing is always like, this makes us happy now. So when you come, and I think that that's what makes the restaurant special is that when you come here, we're, we're enjoying what we do. And if we're not enjoying it, we won't do it because um, 
because we don't have to, like, because because we can do something else that makes us happy. I don't know. We'll find something else to do. We'll land on our feet. We're capable people. Um, so, uh, I don't know. We're going to do this until it stops making sense, and then we'll do something else. I don't know. And then, yeah, we'll be here till we like somewhere else more. I don't know. But I haven't found anywhere better than Bovina yet, so uh, that's why we're here for sure. I love it, man. Yeah. Um, well, we had... A great time last night. Thanks. Uh, we definitely hope to be back. This has been uh, a treat and a pleasure to get to to pick your brain a bit about Appreciate this place. It. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Cheers. Um, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, happy to do it, man. Cool. Pleasure. All right, Voyagers, that's a wrap on episode 269 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks so much to Sahel and to Sarah for hosting us. We had a great time. I really want to go back. Uh, I want to explore more parts of, of New York. It's like, ah, the more places I see, it's just the more places I want to see. Need to live multiple lifetimes to try to squeeze it all in. But Voyagers, the weather's getting nice again. Start planning your own stuff. Go out there. Hopefully you're inspired by not only this episode, but by all the episodes. Go out make your own stories, have your own adventures, turn me off, start your own thing. There's a lot of great, great stuff to see out there in the world. Go do it. Okay, Voyagers, that's it for this one. As always, please take care of each other. I'll catch you all very soon.